Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Okay, I do what? And tonight is key number what? No, that's your lesson for next week. It's six, that's right. <laughs> and uh, what we're going to do, talk about tonight, is the key of experiencing. I hope you all have seen that all of these, even though we break them down, it all happens at one time. It's not like... These are, these are different courses you have to go through to be trained in. When you say yes to the Lord and you get into his word, all of these things take care of themselves. But what we're doing, backing off and getting a better view of what it really looks like and what some of these things are. Because when you start releasing Christ in you, how do you know you're releasing him? How do you know you're trusting him? And there is a litmus test. And that litmus test is not how many times you go to church. It's not how many scriptures you know. So remember what Paul said about people that know a lot. They're arrogant. It's not that. It's your relationship and your walk with Christ that determines this litmus test, and that is love. And what is love? It's a relationship word. So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to look in a passage that you really didn't go that heavy into. I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but let me get you there. Uh, you can fake all of the gifts. Did you know that? But you can't fake the fruit. And the fruit of his spirit is love. You cannot fake the fruit. You can fake the gifts. You know the story. I've heard it, I don't know how many times, about a fellow that went to seminary and took Hebrew and could say the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, uh, not the Lord's Prayer, but Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd. He could say it in Hebrew. And he went to a meeting that everybody was uh, speaking in another language. <laughs> and he stood up and spoke the Lord's Prayer in Hebrew. And somebody got up and interpreted it, but it wasn't Psalm 23, or not the Lord's Prayer, but Psalm 23. As a result of that, they asked him to leave and went right on doing what they were doing. You can fake any of the gifts in most people's eyes, but you can't fake the fruit. The fruit is what wraps the gift, and that's what only Christ can produce. Actually, he can only produce the gifts, but sometimes you don't know. Well, that guy's serving. He must have the gift of serving. Does he? Or is that just his flesh wanting to do what it wants to do? See, what the Spirit does is uniquely different from what the flesh produces. So we're going to talk about how do you know that that gift is actually active? How do you know that that love is really there? It's amazing. If you'll study Paul's epistles, almost every one of them have this truth in it. That the bottom line is not how much you don't do this or how much you do do that. It's the love in your relationships with others. That's the bottom line. It's in every place. Remember we studied 1 John. That was the litmus test in 1 John. 
He said this, this truth was true in him, now it's true in you. you know, it's a, he said it's, even though it's an old commandment, it's a new commandment because it's being fulfilled in you. So love is what the Holy Spirit of God produces in you. The Spirit of Christ produces within your life. Now love is an interesting word in English. We have, how many words do we have for love in English? One. And what we do, what we say is, I love the, my mother, I love my grandma, I love Cheerios, I love the American flag, and I love Jesus. And we use the same word all the way through. But there are four words in the Greek language for love. That's why it's such a specific language. Remember, it says in the fullness of time that Jesus came. Do you realize the Greek language was the predominant language when he came into the world? And that's, it's so beautiful because nobody could misunderstand. If somebody said, well, he spoke in Aramaic. Well, he did speak in Aramaic from time to time. But he doc they documented everything in Greek. Everything was documented in Greek because it's so specific. One of the words that's a, that's a word in the Greek for love is eros. And, we, of course, we get the word erotic from it. And God just throws it completely out of the vocabulary in Scripture, never uses it one time. Yet you find ten people on the street and ask them what love is, and somehow they'll drift right there. That's not what love is. He goes on, he said, another word he uses in Scripture is storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. And this is a special love that God gives mamas for their little babies. And, by the way, it gives lost people the same thing. That's why it says over in First uh, Timothy, or Second Timothy, it says, in the last days, men will be unloving, ah, without storgi, without that affection for their children. Somebody says, how in the world could abortion take place? Voila, because that's something God produces within somebody. And you see, it says, in the last days, you're going to see where it's not going to be there in people's lives. Well, then there's the word philos. And philos, you can say it different ways, is the word that means a cherished friend. Now, some people put the word agape, which we're going to look at in a minute, and philos, and they say, this is a much better word. No, they're just different words, and they mean different things. Uh, philos is more that cherished friendship we have with somebody. You cherish being with them. You love being with them. That's philos. And then the last word that we find is agape, and agapao, but it's the word that means it's not a feeling, you know, falling in love with you. It's not a feeling. And that's what Nashville says. This, this has feelings, but the feelings are the caboose, not the engine. This is a devotion, divinely given, that's given to meet the needs of someone no matter what it costs you. That's what this word is. God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. It's costly, and that's what love does. It reaches to the need of somebody, and that's something only the Holy Spirit of God can produce in your life. Both of these words are used in a very special passage, and most of you know it, in John 21. Remember, Peter said, I'm going fishing. And everybody thinks he was just hungry. Hungry with 155 fish? I think that might feed you. I mean, I, I go out for fish from time to time, but I've never eaten 155. That's what he was before he started walking with Jesus. But remember, they were discouraged. Jesus had been to the cross, and Peter said, I'm going back to fishing. He had his own team. He had boats, and none of, most of the fishermen then didn't have it. He had a very lucrative fishing business, and he goes back to fishing. And, of course, that night they don't catch anything. Next morning they wake up, and there's Jesus on the shore. Now, let me pick it up there. Verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast, and he said, come on in. I got some fish for you. By the way, where did he get those fish? 
He doesn't say a thing about it, does he? He probably just spoke them in the pan. Okay, go ahead, get in there and fry, you know. Verse 15 of John 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, who had denied him three times, by the way, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And a lot of people worry over whether he meets the fish or whether he meant the other disciples that were there. But who cares? He says, do you love me more than these? And the word love he uses there is akapao. Are you so devoted to me, Simon Peter, that you would actually give your life to me? Would you pay the ultimate price to do what I ask you to do? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Philos. He changes the word. That is not what God asked him. And he says, oh, you're my best friend. I love being with you, man, especially when you feed the 5,000, and especially when you got fish here cooking on the side. of This is awesome. I love being with you. He said, okay, tend my lambs or feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agapao, same word. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love being with you. He changes it to philos. And you know that I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. And then he asked him again. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Philos. He changes the word. Do you even love me like a friend? Do you even cherish being with me? And Peter was grieved. Now, why would Peter be grieved? Because <laughs> he knew God could see right through him. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me even as a friend? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you as a friend. You know I cherished to be with you. He still haven't answered his question. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. And what he's doing, he's talking about his death. Verse 19, now he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, what? Go and learn how to love me. Is that what he said? I want you to get out of here and take a seminar on how to love me. Is that what he said? What did he say? Follow me. In other words, what God, I think, was telling him was, you can't even love me like I require out of you, but there's coming a day that I'm going to live in you, and anything I require from you, I will enable you to be. I produce everything I need to see in you. If you'll just follow me, just say yes to me. Isn't it amazing how the more you surrender to him, the more you get to experience him, the more you know him, the more you love him, and the more you love him, the more you want to surrender to him, and the more you surrender to him, the more you know him, and the more you know him, the more you want to surrender to him, and the more you surrender to him, the more you, and after a while you get to that place, I'll die for you, Lord, but he wasn't there at that point. You see, so you see the differences in the two words. It's not like they're, they're way up here and way down here. It's just two whole different things you're talking about. Well, the love that we're talking about is that, that word agapao, that word that only God can produce in your heart if what he requires out of you. Only he can do it. Well, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 13. You say, well, Wayne, what is this love? You've looked at Galatians 5. You've seen some of the characteristics of it. And 1 Corinthians 13 does overlap that some, to some degree. You've looked at different things in your homework. But in this session, I want, you to, I want you to walk through. What is this love? How do you know that you're experiencing Him? How do you know that you're dying and growing and trusting and, and, and releasing? How do you know? There's only one way, and it's in your relationship. It's not anywhere else. You can fake everything else. You can't fake this. It's either there or it isn't there. First of all, Paul shows us that this love that only Christ can produce is essential to qualify anything we do as spiritual, <laughs> anything we do, 
whether or not it's from God or not, whether or not it's spiritual, his love has got to be there. He lists three things in verse 1, 2, and 3 that most people would consider to be spiritual, especially in Corinth. Remember, when he writes, he's addressing a context. He mentions the language that, that language without love, any language you want to speak in, any language without love is nothing more than a noisy irritation. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't matter what you say. If the love is not there, it's a noisy irritation. He brings out the ability to speak in the language of men. He even throws in the language of angels because some of them were speaking in some unknown tongue and saying they were speaking in the language of angels. He said, so what? So what? Verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, okay, doesn't matter. Throw you into either category. But do not have love. And that's the word we're looking at. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Boy, that's pretty clear, isn't it? When I taught on 1 Corinthians years ago, when I was in Tennessee, I, I had the cymbal player to stay up there. And I had the microphone right on the cymbals. And I told the sound man, when I start talking and reading that verse, I want you to start hitting the cymbals. And I want you to make it go all the way up to, till almost it squeals on the microphone. I want it to be really irritating. So I started speaking on this verse, didn't say a word, and he got started going, bam, 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 bam. And I kept on talking, and I was waiting on somebody to do it, and it took them forever. But finally, you always can depend on certain folks that you know who they are. Was sitting down there about the third row, and said, stop it, stop it. You're hurting my ears. And I said, thank you. I didn't want to go on any longer. Because it's exactly what Paul just said. I don't care if you speak another language. You know, I've, I've been to Romania almost 20 times, I think it is now. Oh, 20, I don't know how many times. I've learned, Mincara afos fotebun. Mincara este fotebun. Mincara vafis, vafia fotebun. The food was very good. The food is very good. The food shall be very good. That's all I learned in 20 years. And there's some people that can go over there. We had one man in our church in Tennessee that could speak five languages fluently. He was in Romania and learned it in one day. Linguistically gifted. Oh, he must be spiritual. Hear him pray. He can kick into another language. Oh, wow, that must be spiritual. Forget it. If the love is not there, I don't care what language you speak in. It means absolutely nothing. That's what he says. It's, it's an irritating noise. This love's pretty important. If this love is not there, everything we're doing is just nothing but a bunch of garbage because it's going to burn at the judgment seat of Christ. Only the love tells you that the Christ is doing this within us. Secondly, he mentions the truth, that truth without love uh, means nothing. Truth. People that can discover the mysteries of God, people that have the knowledge of God can look at life from, from what he's saying. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and that word is prophet, I mean, I believe what it means is preaching because it means to stand before and to declare. Now, some people think it's, it's the extraordinary use of it, of telling the future. Well, that guess can happen, but <laughs> I'm rather skeptical on that one. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, oh, wow, and all knowledge, Good night, son. We might could get some more people here. And if I have faith to move mountains, I mean, that will draw a crowd in a hurry. But do not have love. I am what? Nothing. You know what nothing is in the Greek? It's a zero with the lid kicked off. Thirdly, he mentions that service without love profits me nothing. 
Now, come on, Wayne, come on. Look at the people. He says in verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. Now, come on, that's pretty, that's pretty. All my possessions to feed the poor. And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me what? Nothing. Now, does it profit the people that I fed? Oh, absolutely. They're full. They enjoy it. Does it profit me? And he's got to be talking about what he says in chapter 3 about the judgment seat of Christ and the rewards that he's going to give. There are no rewards for that if the love is not there because the love has to be there to guarantee that what's being done is not of the flesh, but it's of the Spirit. See? So this is a very, very important thing. You say, well, Wayne, what's this got to do with marriage? <laughs> what's it got to do with marriage? Okay. Let me just hope somebody asked that question. Okay. Every week I, I try my best to draw it. It doesn't look much like a triangle. There's God. <laughs> There's you. And here's your spouse right here. Now, as you're walking this way, yielding, dying, trusting, releasing, all of this happens now with just an act of heart, of surrender. And what happens? He starts producing the love which does what? which meets the need and begins to draw the two of you more closely together. That's what the whole thing's about. Yeah, I know when we finish this course, somebody's going to say, you didn't go to Ephesians 5 one time and read from me every single thing in Colossians about what I'm supposed to do as a husband, and that's what I came to this class for. No, no, no. I'm covering bigger stuff than that. This is bigger fish to fry. Because if these things aren't in place, you don't, don't bother going to Ephesians 5 because you can't do it to start with. It's got to be Christ in you. It does this, see. And the way you know he's working in you is because of the love that were there. Well, the context of, of Corinth is all wrapped up in those three verses. They were educated. They were able. They were jealous of each other because of, of some people had to seem to have the extraordinary gifts of doing this and that. And so he addresses every bit of it. And he says, listen, none of these things are important if the love is not there. You, you can memorize the scriptures and still be just as fleshly as anybody else. It's got to be the love. When you yield to what you know and who you know, then he produces that love within you. And, of course, I mentioned uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1. He says, knowledge makes you arrogant, but love does what? It edifies. The word edifies means builds up. That's exactly what we're just trying to show over here. So if it is to qualify as being that which is spiritual, the love has to be present. Love is essential to prove anything is spiritual. If it's of Christ, if it's spiritual, Love has to be there. I addressed the uh, prayer group last night, which was so sweet, and Phil and the group that's put that together. Oh, awesome. I love dressing people who've been in prayer. You know why? Because they're the most peaceful, rejoicing people you can ever be around. You know why? They've been in the presence of Jesus. If everybody prayed, you'd have no conflict in the church because you can't get in the presence of Jesus and remain the same. So understand what I'm saying. This love has got to be there. A lot of people can tell you, well, buddy, I can, I can quote those verses, and I can do this, and I can do that. Well, who cares? Be a fly on the wall and watch how they live. See how they treat the waitress at the restaurant when you order peas and you get beans and they're cold. See how they treat people around them. Watch them carefully, because if they're walking with God, you're going to see that. You may not even understand it, but you're going to see a difference. They're going to stand out. That's what God does to prove himself in us. Okay. Secondly, this love is not only essential to prove anything that is spiritual, but this love is essential for us to tolerate anybody who's intolerable. 
Look what he says. Uh, you know, I have to laugh. Some people don't get the, the don't even get it. Why would Galatians 5 say the fruit of the Spirit is love if it wasn't an indication that you're going to need it like you, you never thought you were going to need it because some very unloving people are out there. And by the way, in the church also. <laughs> I, I never have been treated that bad out there. <laughs> we won't go there. To prove my point, take a long look at your spouse and you'll remember the times when you wanted to start yelling because they were driving you up the wall. Has that ever happened in your relationships? Sure not. Al, it never bothered him. Remember the things that attracted you to each other are the very things that irritate you now. You think you don't need this love? You think you don't need this love? Oh, no, no, Wayne. I'm going to change my spouse. Well, I want you to let me know how that works. Would you do that? I've never talked to anybody yet that's changed them. Okay. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and love is kind. Now, that's, that's key words here. The word patient, macrothumia. It means to suffer long with somebody. My daddy, when we'd go fishing, he'd take me out to Carvin's Cove, and we could only rent a 12-foot boat and had that three-and-a-half-horsepower Firestone motor. You could crawl faster than that butt thing. Can't you? Pow! Smoke coming out of it because you had to mix the oil with the gas. And, and, and get down there, and daddy said, Wayne, please, son, try to be quiet one day in your whole life because you're scaring the fish. I remember that time going in there. We didn't have trolling motors. We didn't know what a trolling motor was. And you know what happens? You pull up in a cove, and boy, you can see the bass going. And boy, your, your, your heart just starts beating, pumping. And you know they're biting, they're feeding. And I couldn't. The boat turned the wrong way. And I, had, I was going to throw back. And so I said, I, I swung my leg over so I could throw back in there and didn't realize it was a metal tackle box sitting on it open with five shelves on each side. And I knocked it off into the bottom of the boat. It's almost like taking a grenade going, chickum, book. And you can hear the fish down there, they're back, you know. <laughs> and my daddy, 101, 102, 103, 105. <laughs> Patience. <laughs> you say, well, wait, I don't have any children yet. Well, <laughs> you don't even have a clue what this word is going to mean to you down the road. It's God's patience, by the way. It's not man's patience. We think of patience as gritting your teeth, not saying anything, and, and, and hanging in there. That's not what patience is. Let me read to you 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Paul said it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm the foremost of all. By the way, isn't it interesting how he admits that? Then he says, yet for this reason I found mercy. Now listen. So that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. In other words, if he could save me, he could save anybody. It's that kind of patience. It's that kind of patience. It's divine. It's what God, it, it's a product of this love that's there. Now, with this patience, it's another word and it comes right together is the word kindness. Now, there's some very unkind people out there, and sometimes it can be your spouse. Usually it's me and our relationship. And whatever day it is, we can be very unkind. 
Now, how are we going to respond to that? We either respond to it filled with the Spirit, or we react to it, which makes the situation that much more vulnerable. To have Christ's kindness in us. The word is krestevome, and it means to be so tender of heart. This is not what you do. This is the tenderness that goes into doing it. In fact, I think this is one of the words we used in Galatians 5. To do whatever it is needed without any hesitation. You see a need, and even though you're catching it this way, you still want to meet that need with a tenderness that has no bitterness to it whatsoever. And that's what God says, huh, that proves that I live in that person's life. See? So that patience and that kindness with one another, does it mean anything to a marriage? <laughs> does it ever? So Christ's love manifested in you as you die to self by saying yes to him proves, first of all, that you're being spiritual. That love is the key. Now, what does that love look like? Well, it's patient and it's kind. Now, if it doesn't work at home, it doesn't work anywhere else. I wish somehow we could get this. I, I don't know how to say it. I don't, I'm not being mean. I'm just talking to myself. What in the world am I doing coming here every Sunday morning? If it doesn't work in my home, I ain't got anything to say. All that is is knowledge, and it just makes people arrogant. But love edifies. Love builds up. So, thirdly, this love is essential to prove us as to who we say we are. Paul lists eight things that love is not. One of the greatest ways to know what something is is to show what it's not. <laughs> that's, that's one of the best ways. It's used all through Scripture. Paul and Peter do this all the time. Well, let me show you what it's not. And by the time they finish with what it's not, you don't even have to ask what it is. You already know what it is. So he, he adds eight things here. Actually, seven, but he puts a contrast. So I'm going to make eight out of it. The first thing that he mentions is that love is not jealous. Now, why would he bring this up to the Corinthians? They were jealous of other people's gifts. And because this person was, had this particular gift, they said, and this person could do that, they all wanted those gifts. And uh, especially the high or so-called miraculous gifts that were going on, healings, unknown tongues, it's on. How do you treat someone who seems to be much more gifted than you are? How do you treat them? If that jealousy is there, the love's not there. Look out, look out, because love tells you you can be who you are and whose you are, full of Jesus, and never have to apologize for it. You're just who you are. Uh, Christ's love keeps you from being jealous of them. I had the privilege of speaking with Dr. Stephen Oford, who's probably one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. Billy Graham says he was his pastor. And uh, first time I spoke with him on a Monday night at Precept Ministries at a men's conference, well, it's Friday night on Precept Ministry uh, men's conference. 400 some guys in there and I'm sitting in the back and they put him first don't ever put him first put me first and I can go home and read about it in the newspaper I, he had to go first and he preaches the stars down good night I live it alliterates his message it's beautiful what he did and when he finished I'm thinking what in the world am I doing here I could drive a truck Lord I could dig a ditch I could work in a store and God said I want you to show you something and he began to show me the people in the back when old boys chewed tobacco he's a bubba and he loved a deer hunt. And the only reason he was there is because I was there. He just likes me. I don't know why he likes me. And I started looking at I've been doing this conference for 15 years. And I started different speakers that I was with. But I looked around and saw these guys. And I'm thinking, wow. And God began to put on my heart, Wayne, you just be who you are. And when it comes your turn, watch these guys right now first. And they were standing there when Dr. Ofer would preach. They were going, golly. It was kind of like, what the heck's he saying? 
He said, now you just get up and explain what he said, but in your own way. <laughs> and I did. And it was amazing. He reached a certain group, but he couldn't reach the other ones. And God used me to reach the other ones. And I began to realize, why, why in the world do I envy somebody else's gifts? Why would I envy somebody else's calling? Sometimes I hear people play a piano. I started off playing the piano and went to school, and I was going to major in it, and I couldn't play basketball and football and major in piano because <laughs> somehow they didn't fit the practice hours and the, all the other stuff. And I, I used to marvel at people that could do that. And God said, son, I've gifted you a whole uniquely different way. Just be who you are. Don't ever be jealous because if you're jealous, that denies any kind of love being seen in your life, which tells everybody that you're not walking with me. Love is not jealous. It's not jealous. You ever been jealous of your spouse? You ever been jealous? You know, it's like uh, some ladies are so gifted. They're just gifted. And they marry rednecks like us. It's just amazing how we do that. We always want to be something else or somebody else. Don't ever do that. Love won't let you do that. But then not only that, but the second word he uses here is love does not brag. It never causes you to brag, which is the word that means to think highly of yourself. You ever had people walk up to you and say, let me tell you about my walk with God, buddy. <laughs> or I had my quiet time this morning and God spoke to me. They'd always say stuff to, to me because they could tell I hadn't had my quiet time. <laughs> and they just draw attention to themselves, just always bragging about their spirituality. Boy, that love won't let you do that. Love will not let you do that. You know, but matter of fact, love says, let me show you. I'm not going to say a word. I love what that man said one day in his, in his church history. He said, when you leave today, witness to somebody. And if you really have to, use words. Thirdly, the love of Christ is not arrogant. Now, this is an interesting word because they tie together. The word arrogant, it means it's not puffed up. It's not blowing smoke. It's exactly what the word means. I looked it right up in a lexicon. It says, it doesn't blow smoke. <laughs> I thought, wow, how many Christians want everybody to know what great Christians they are when they don't have a clue? They don't have a clue. And is that important in marriages? You know, sometimes the wife is a spiritual one and the husband's not. Look out, ladies. Look out. The best way to turn your husband off is to tell him how spiritual you are without demonstrating the life in front of him. Because the Holy Spirit's what's going to change him, not your, not your walk, not, not your knowledge. It's going to have to be the Holy Spirit using you to change other people. Um, fourthly, now look how these tie together. Man, fourthly, does not act unbecomingly. And what that means is it never puts another into a shameful situation. I told our daughter that night, I may have told you this in this course, but if I have, just kind of grin at me and act like you hadn't heard. But I told Stephanie, I said, Stephanie, it's going to come a night and the moon's going to be just right. And the stars are going to be out and they're going to be in your eyes. And he's going to look at you and say, Stephanie, I love you. And I said, Stephanie, you step back about 30 feet and make that redneck explain what he means by love. <laughs> because he may want something from you that would put you in a shameful position and love will never put another person in a shameful position. It does not act unbecomingly. Well, fifthly, it does not seek its own. This means that they, what, what they do is not about themselves. It's not drawing attention. Nobody appreciates me. Have you ever had that thought? Man, I wash the clothes and I or I go to work and I make the money around here and I never get appreciated. Or I do this and I do that. What is that doing? It's drawing every bit of attention right back to yourself. 
And love will not let you do that. You don't do it for the husband any or the wife anyway. You do it for Christ. Everything you do, whether you eat or drink, you do for the glory of God. Six, it's not provoked. This is interesting. It doesn't carry a little chip around on its shoulder. And now, no, I know none of you have ever had that experience. It, uh, it's not touchy-feely. It does, it, when a person's like this, it means like you're walking on eggshells. <laughs> you're just scared to death of stepping on the wrong place, and they're going to explode right in front of you. Love's not that way. You can, you're easy to be around. Boy, you can watch Jesus when he was around children. Children can show you who the people are that are walking in, with, with Christ because they're drawn right to them. They're not afraid of them. They sense the kindness. They sense the fact that, that, that they're accepted. They sense the fact that they're received. This is a beautiful thing. The more you look at what it's not, the more you realize what it is. Uh, it does not, as a matter of fact, uh, our little Jonathan, <laughs> our grandson, he's 10, was one day just blew up at Holland, his sister, who's 14, coming up in April. And uh, he just blew up at her. And then he went in and sat down at the piano and played, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Something a little amiss here somewhere. Uh, seventhly, it does not take into an account a wrong suffered. Look out, look out. It does not keep a ledger and write down when the other person offends you. You remember when you offended me back here? Do you remember? I can remember the day, the hour, the time. And there's a lot of people that can do that. By the way, this gets into churches, and I know that from being a pastor all these years. Some people can remember what I did to offend them 10 years ago, but they can't remember John 3.16. And love has a divine forgetfulness. There's an eraser somehow. Not in the hurt and the damage. We're not saying you just go ahead and condone what somebody did, but you don't hold it against them. You understand. If somebody had cancer, was treating you badly, you wouldn't hate them. You'd hate the cancer. And that's the bottom line of it. It never takes into an account a wrong suffered. Well, I put the eighth one right here. Christ's love produced in us does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But then he gives a contrast. He said, but rejoices in the truth. Now, there are two kinds of unrighteousness, and this is where we miss it. We think of unrighteousness as being the old evil things, and certainly that is exactly unrighteous thing. But see, unrighteousness is anything of the flesh. It can be rebellious, and certainly that's where our minds go immediately. As to, but it also can be religious. I want you to think about something for a second. Anything that we do out of our flesh and we rejoice in is showing that we rejoice in unrighteousness. That man has done something for God. That man has done something good. And therefore we call it righteous. We rejoice in it when it's unrighteous because God didn't initiate it. The love was not wrapped around it. See? So unrighteousness can be on both sides there. A lot of, a lot of this is you see today, and particularly in churches. So you say, well, Wayne, what does that have to do with my marriage? Well, just be careful that you don't pride yourself because you did everything right. You always remember that if the love is not there, it doesn't matter anyway. Because only the love, it has to wrap anything that God does in a person's life. So we see then some more things of what it's not. So this love qualifies anything that we do, as whether, whether or not it's really spiritual. The love has got to be there. Uh, not only that, it, the love tolerates anyone who is intolerable. And this love proves us to be who we say we are. But then fourthly, this love never gives up on those who fail. This is the most beautiful thing in a marriage. 
Because somebody in that marriage is going to mess up one way or another, sometimes to an extreme, sometimes not to an extreme. But love never gives up. This love that Christ produces in us. You never, listen, you never want to be caught in a sin by somebody who's not walking in the love of Christ. They will butcher you. They will butcher you publicly. They're not out to help you. They're out to bring you down because they haven't been where you've been. So remember this very carefully. He gives some words here that show this. Paul shows us that love treats those who fail around us in the body of Christ in a whole unique way. First of all, it bears all things. You know what that means? The word bears all things is the word that means to build a house over it. It puts a cover over it. What's the first thing you do when you hear something that's sort of, hmm, they did what? What's the first thing the tendency is for the flesh to do? Yeah. I got to go tell somebody. I'm going to pick up the phone, call such and such. Uh-huh. Did you? I didn't really want to call you, but I just felt God put it on my heart to say this to you. And if you'll just give me a little bit of time, what you need to do right there is just hang up. Because love covers. Love covers. That's because it, it believes. You see, it, it goes on and says, love believes all things. Now, that doesn't mean it's stupid and believe somebody who's telling you an outright lie about something. That's not what it's talking about at all. Believing all things is, is always willing to trust the Christ who lives in the one who has failed. I don't know how many times I've told Diana, don't trust me as far as she can throw me. Trust the Christ who lives within me. You see, I, I know me, but I also know him. <coughs> so, it uh, bears all things, builds a cover over it. And it believes all things. It stays in there when nothing else stays in there. Love just doesn't quit. And then the third thing he mentions here, it hopes all things. Love never gives up on anyone, especially somebody who has failed. I think about my life for years before I met Diana, and I think about long before that and how I had a mama that just believed. <laughs> and she believed, and I was the biggest pill that ever was born, if y'all haven't figured that out. I was not the goody two-shoes out in the field. I was the prodigal headed down the road. But I had people that believed in me, believed that Christ wanted to do something in my life. And that makes all the difference in the world. See, love doesn't give up. Love doesn't give up. Well, fourthly, it says it endures all things. And sin, sin can really take a toll on a family when it gets in there. And this word, endures all things, is epomeno. It means it gives a person with all the garbage they've got to put up with to bear up under it and to hold steady no matter what's going on in the family. This can be applied to many areas, but the context seems to be the guy who's failed or the woman who's failed. Somehow it builds a cover over it. It wants to see only reconciliation. It, it believes all things. It hopes all things. It's willing to bear up under whatever it is that comes that way. Whatever It can be tragedy. It can be anything else but it bears up under. This is the way that God treats us, by the way. You ever notice that? You're saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. We love to sing that, don't we? Well, if that's the way he treats us, how does he treat you when you fail? Does he kick you out? Does he just stomp you? Isn't it the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? And yet he lives within us. So how do we treat each other when the other one fails? If Christ is in us, this love is unique. 
totally contrasted to the way the world thinks of love. It will, it, it, it bears up under whatever comes our way. And that's God in us. That's not us. That's God in us. So it qualifies anything we do as spiritual, tolerates anyone who is intolerable, proves us to be what we say we are, and never gives up on those who fail. That's a beautiful quality. Well, what's that got to do with my marriage? <laughs> I'm just being facetious. That's every day. That's every day for both, all of us. And then finally, this love characterizes us forever. He says in verse 8, love never fails. I love that. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with. And if there are tongues, they're going to cease. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away with. Anything that you're trying to produce, that project as being spiritual, all of that's going away. But the thing that's going to last is this love is going to remain forever. This love will outlast anything that's temporal. Anything we know is only in part anyway. Did you ever thought about that? We only know in part. <laughs> oh, no, Wayne, I've got it put together. You do. Wow. You must got to be an engineer. Verse 9, for we know in part. We know in part. That's all we know. And we prophesy in part. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Now, some say this is the truth of the word of God. It'll come one day. Well, it could be. I don't think that. Let's read on. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And then he says, when I became a man, that's his salvation experience is what he's talking about. I did away with childish things. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then how are we going to see? Face to face. When? When the perfect comes. There's a time here. We're going to see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'll know fully, just as I has also been fully known. But, but, but when? when? When is he coming? 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we're children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And I think that's exact reference to that. When we see him one day, we already know he loves us. A whole chapter of 13 is his love for us. But one day when we see him face to face, we're going to know him like he knows us. You know, right now he knows everything about me. But on that day, my will and his will will become one will. Isn't that going to be an awesome day? We're not going to know in part. No, we're going we're to understand and we're going to walk with him forever. So when we experience Christ working in and through our lives, we'll experience his love. This love qualifies anything that we do as spiritual. This love tolerates anyone who is intolerable. This love proves to us that we are who we say we are. This love never gives up on those who fail. And this love characterizes us forever. In fact, how important is this? He said, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is what? It's the love. Well, I've got faith. Well, good, good. Do you have love? If you don't have love, then what kind of faith do you have? Well, I've got, I've, I've got hope. You do. Do you have love? That's the key. That's the, that's the character of Jesus being manifested in us. And if we don't get that down, I'm telling you, anything else we do is just mechanical. That's all it is. The love God, only he can produce that in our hearts. Anything he demands from us, he lives within us to enable. So the question is tonight, are you experiencing his love in you for your spouse? 
Are you experiencing it from your spouse? Now, let's go back. There's you, and there's your spouse, and there's Christ. As we live, like I said, dying, growing, trusting, releasing, and now experiencing, that love flows out of us. It's like we're conduits. And if you want water over here to get over there, you've got to have a clean conduit so it can run through. And as we live that way, that love just gushes through us. And the very thing that our spouse is looking for, we can't meet, but the Christ in us meets that need within them. And everybody is dying for this kind of love. We're crying for it, but we only find it in Christ. And the people who know Christ, we experience it through their lives. But it's not us. It's Christ living in and through us. So we've got another key on our ring tonight. Remember, though, we're making them separate rooms. They're not separate rooms. It's all the one great big thing of my surrender to him and willingness to get into his word and let his word get inside of me. So, Diana, do you have anything to share tonight? Come on. Oh, thank you. Don't y'all wish you had that. Now, he always needs water. And, and my being his wife, I know that, so I, I try to provide that for him. Thank you, sweetie. That was a good message tonight. Don't you love how the scripture, when it's opened up before us, how God just lays it out, and, and we see so much more from how God has gifted you to teach that we, we never would have seen otherwise. So thank you for that. Um, Wayne's hard on himself sometimes when he talks about how he is at home. He's a, he's a very gentle man. And... Um, wasn't so when we first got married, but um, <laughs> I've done a great job with you. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know if I told you. I, it's hard when you, I, those of you that are on the Thursday morning Bible study, if I share things with you and then in here, and you, I, when I was a young lady, older ladies like myself would tell me something that they just said to me the day before and I and I was thinking we just had this conversation yesterday well now I'm just like that so <laughs> I may have said this to you last week and I'm not I'm not sure but when we first went out um we'd known each other for two weeks and what you asked me to marry you first day he asked me to go with him the and the the second the Two weeks after we met, you asked me to marry you. Two months from that time, we were engaged. And four months from the time we met, we were married. So it went real fast. Well, I had just, this is about three weeks into one week that I had said that I would marry him. So his friend came down from seminary, and we went out, and we were in a movie theater. And it was before the, the show was to begin, and we were in the lobby. And um, Wayne, I'd never, I didn't know he did things like this. And he looked at me and he said, kiss you? I don't even know you. And um, have I shared this in here? Have I shared this? And I, I was stunned. I, I was like, <laughs> and I thought I've already told him I'd marry him. I didn't know he acted like this. Well, <laughs> he was with his very best guy friend, and, and they'd grown up together and done uh, retreats together and conferences together as um, young people. And um, so we get into the movie. Well, they're so loud, and they're, this guy has his date, and then Wayne's here, and then I'm here. And, and they were just talking, and, and I don't cry easily, but I cried. <laughs> 
and tears were running down my face because I was so embarrassed. And my way of, um, and I, I thought again, oh, I've already told him I'd marry him, but I didn't know he was like this. <laughs> and um, my way of handling a situation, um, I will say when we were in um, Jackson, Mississippi at Colonial Heights, we would go in to eat Wednesday night dinner and the staff sat at the very back table. So we'd had our two little children and we would walk in. Well, my way of handling the situation is you get in there and you get to your seat as fast as you can. Wayne goes in singing. <laughs> and uh, it's like, you know, my, but he might be feeling insecure, but he's loud at it, about it. And, and, <laughs> and I will feel insecure, but I get quiet. So sometimes personalities, that the way God has created us, has, um, it causes us friction, doesn't it? And um, now, and, and one of the things that I prayed about, even though I wasn't a believer, but I prayed that God would give me someone that other people loved and um, someone that would be kind to my parents and my family and, um, and someone that would love me, and, and God did that, but the, so... Um, I just was thinking about that while I was sitting over here. But um, when when we love, it's patient and kind and not jealous and it's not arrogant and does not act unbecomingly. And if I would have known this scripture, I would have thought that night he was acting <laughs> unbecomingly. <laughs> so, but he's a very precious man and I love him very much. So thank you, Wayne. And I'm glad you let me tell stories on you. You know, um, there was something that you mentioned when, when you were talking, and it says um, often we can envy other people's gifts. Have you ever done that? If you, would you be honest? I have. have. Okay, yes. It, you see other people, and you just wish you could serve the Lord like that. We, we see singers. We hear Terry Adams stand up and sing, and his voice is so beautiful. And maybe some of you men wish you were singers. And, and I often thought I would love to have been a singer, but you do not want me in your choir. I'll tell you that much. But Wayne has often shared this, and um, he says that um, the gifting that God has given us because he loves us, it's like a, a, a round pie. And, you know, you cut the pie, and you can cut some pieces larger, some pieces small. Sometimes if we are on a diet, we say, I just want a sliver, and then you go back and get another sliver. <laughs> and, um, but, but Wayne always says, you know, it's not, it doesn't matter about the size of the piece of the pie that God cut for you. He says he's just grateful that he has a piece. Well, when I was a younger woman, I thought that, um, well, the first time I ever saw Kay Arthur, um, Kay is 15 years older than I am, and I was a young lady when I first met her. I was about 28 years old, and I thought when I saw her speak, and I still watch her on TV at night, and <clears throat> she just blows my mind about how God has gifted her to memorize scripture, and it's like every sentence she says is a verse. And so I just thought, oh, Lord, I've never seen a woman teach like this, and if I study your word and I pray enough and and read enough and and all of these things and maybe one day I could be like that well I don't have the energy <laughs> to be like that and God did not gift me like that and um, as Wayne has said earlier and I'll get into that in just a moment about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we might have life in Jesus Christ but because God is our example and Jesus came to dwell within us in the power of God's Spirit, um, then we are enabled by God that we love and we give. 
And um, some of this is so giving, it's like love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, um, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the love, since God is all of these and God dwells within us, then he enables us to pour out that love, his love to um, our spouses. And I'll never forget when we were first married, um, some of you may be in this situation now as a young couple, and sometimes we find ourselves in it, um, where you, you just, you have things that you have to deal with, you have obligations that you have to meet with your finances, and you just, you just don't have money to go shopping, you don't go to the mall, you don't buy a car, you don't do anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? Has anybody ever lived that way before? Please tell me you have. <laughs> Okay, well, well, we've lived that way, and when our children were very young, we tried to teach them this, and um, Wayne had a pair of shoes that had a hole in them, and this was in our first church, and on a Sunday morning, he got on his knees at, by his chair where he was up front with everyone, and I didn't know this, but he had a hole in his shoe, in the sole of his shoe, and, um, and I, I was appalled, I, and I was hoping nobody would see that. So we went home, and, and I told Wayne that I, that I saw that, and I wanted to get the children together so we could pray together as a family that God would supply the money to give their daddy a pair of shoes. Two days later, the doorbell rang, and I wasn't the only one that saw the hole in the sole of Wayne's shoe. There was another man, and somehow he just... God just gave him the, the size shoe that Wayne wore, and he gave him a pair of shoes. And this was in Schweitzer, Kentucky, right outside of Frankfort, Kentucky. And we moved there in the winter, and the snow was deep. And, and when he would go to visit people in the hospitals or do whatever, then his socks would get wet because of that hole. And um, our children, our, their little eyes were big the day that that man brought their daddy a pair of shoes. And then um, we moved from that place a few years later, and um, they needed a swing set. And they just really longed to have a swing set. You know how little children are. They see their neighbors with one, and they want one. Well, we didn't have the money to buy that, so we got on our knees as a family, and we prayed and asked God to provide a swing set for our children. The very next morning, and I tell you the truth, this is exactly the way it happened, our neighbor knocked on the door, and she said, I see that you have two children. We just moved in. And she said, um, and I see that they don't have a swing set. And she said, I have a swing set in my backyard. It was here when I moved here with my son. And he has cerebral palsy, and he can't use it. Would your children like to have it? Well, my goodness. I mean, we just had to lift that swing set right over the fence. <laughs> there it was in our children's backyard. And um, just, just be able to see that. And so in God so loving the world that he gave his son, God so loves us that he gives to us. And I often think how many times have I missed his blessing because I didn't believe that he could do that for us. And um, whenever we first learned that we were um, to give, it was Dave and Charlene Eustace that we knew long ago, and they serve on staff here now. They gave Wayne a tape, and, um, and it was a, a message by some preacher that talked about giving. And um, I was always, 
amazed at girls in high school that would give you gum and, and let you use their mascara. <laughs> you know how gals, you always did in the restroom between classes, you know, you'd go in and freshen up so you could see the guy down the hallway. And um, I was always amazed at that. And I came from a family of eight children and you never gave gum away because you might not get any more for another month. And, and um, so I didn't, I didn't know how to give and I didn't know I was supposed to give. And um, so Wayne had a, a guy come by the church one day and many years ago in Schweitzer and um, this guy and his wife were on the road and I don't know how they found our church because it was way back in the country and um, Wayne came home and he said um, so-and-so um, came by and we didn't know them he didn't know them and he gave them what he had in his pocket because they needed money and he said you know somebody told me at the office that well they probably you got duped and he said on the way home, he just said, Lord, whether I did or whether I didn't, you know that, but I was obedient in what you told me to do, and that was to give. Well, we had been had such good examples of this in our life. Um, I'll just tell you this real quickly, and then I'll close. But um, we didn't have any money, and um, we um, took some folks on uh, to lunch. This was in Mississippi, and uh, there was a group of BSU students that came through, and God told Wayne during the service, I want you to take them to eat after the service, and there were like 35 of them maybe, something like that, and then he told me on the way, <laughs> like, how are we going to do that? Well, I didn't know, um, right before he left the church, somebody handed him a $100 bill and um, it's just been so sweet to see how God does that. And he's not always, you know, it's like you don't, you don't get it every week. You get it every now and then. And um, so we took these folks to the truck stop, and, and it was out by the freeway. And that's the only place you could eat in our little town, no place to eat. So you'd go out there. And I got to know the, the um, owner's wife of this little restaurant and we got to be good friends and we would go maybe once a week it was so much fun and she God put a love in her heart for our family and she said I want you to come anytime you want and it's on us <laughs> well you know how that is when you have little children and you think oh it'd be so nice to go someplace besides McDonald's <laughs> and um, and we just had the best time and so God showed us how that we had been so blessed by people giving to us that we must be a blessing to others and whatever God prompted our hearts that we were to do that. So tying it in with my thinking that I would be a K. Arthur one day, God revealed to me that, you know, he didn't gift me like that, but he has her mightily. And uh, there are teachers like Wayne. And, and um, if I had been gifted like that, I would be gone all the time. And prior to our coming here, Wayne traveled a lot to other churches. And, and if we'd had a marriage where I was gone all the time and he was gone all the time, well, who were gonna, who was going to watch the children? So I have learned to rejoice in the fact that God gave me the gift of mercy. And um, that is whenever I, I often tell Wayne that um, when we go to a restaurant, and I any of you have mercy in here that you know of? Okay, yes, I see anybody over here. Okay, um, you know how when you go eat or you come to church or you're anywhere where a group, you have a group of people, you, you automatically notice somebody's in distress or someone's fussing with someone else or something else is going on. You just pick it up. You just hear it. And, and your mind, you know, the heart of God that's in you, he just moves you to see what you can do to help with that or pray for that person or whatever. And I tell Wayne all the time, he does not have the gift of mercy. He has the gift of teaching. And I said, that's why you love life and enjoy life so much. You never see what's going on around you. <laughs> 
and um, with his um, hearing aids that he wears with the problem of hearing, and I also told him one day, I said, that's why you're so happy all the time. People come up to you, and they're criticizing you, and you think they're complimenting you because you can't, <laughs> because you can't, you can't hear. Well, <clears throat> just real quickly, I want to give you three examples of how God gave me uh, the gift of mercy. And I have three uh, dollar bills here, and I'm just going to use them. And some of you have seen me do this before, but I met a, a gal from a, one of our former churches, and I was in the grocery store one day. And when we had moved there, she had been going out on her husband, but she'd never heard the scriptures taught like we're word for word and verse by verse, where you just look at the verses and see what God says. And and through some counseling and her getting into the word, she realized that what she was doing was so wrong. And we still um, are in touch with this couple, and her husband was such a gracious man in those days. Remember him, Wayne? And he just received her back, and it was such a beautiful thing. And so it was, my heart was tenderized toward hers because she got up in front of the church and confessed her sin. And that was a hard thing to do, and people forgave her beautifully. And it was a small town, and you know how things go on in a small town. And, and it was like real revival broke out in our church of, of the love that God had placed within the Christians' hearts, reaching out toward one another. So I was in the grocery store one day, and Jan came in. And we were there, and I, she walked up behind me, and I had just picked up a roast <clears throat> and put it in my cart. And she, we said hello and goodbye, and we talked for a moment, and then we were on our way. So I walked, she walked away, and I had the impression in my heart from the Lord God, I want you to buy her a roast just like yours, and you give it to her. And, um, you know, I'd never given like that to buy a roast for somebody. That was such a big deal for me. And so I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. So I picked up the roast, and I found her as she was up at the front counter. And it was like in God giving me as God gave his son, God gave to me the gift of mercy. So it was like I took this roast, and it was God giving to Jan uh, from my heart and from his heart and it was as if he was saying to her my dear I love you I'm grateful for your life at this point and I want to bless you so um, instead of wanting other people's giftings then you can just say Lord how is it that you've gifted me and you allow Christ's life to be lived through your life and when you see people it's not his eyes it's not your eyes seeing that person. It's his eyes looking through you. When you put, put your arm on someone, it's not my arm, but it's God's arm reaching out to other people. And um, when you pray for someone, it's that God has put that on your heart to pray for someone else. Well, a few years later, after we had had this to be a habit of our life, I was in church in Chattanooga, and it was a Sunday evening, and there was a young man sitting right, well, right behind me on the other row, and he coughed and coughed and coughed and it was irritating to me because I don't know if you're like I am. I don't like to be around germs because I just see them just running their way and just landing on me <laughs> wherever. And so I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> afraid of germs. Poor Wayne, if you knew what he had to live with. But, um, but it was like the Lord spoke to my heart and it's like, don't be irritated with him. Maybe he doesn't have any money to buy cough medicine. Or maybe he doesn't have any money to buy something to dry up whatever's causing him to cough. So the Lord told me to give him a $20 bill, what I had in my purse. So God giving his mercy in me to reach out. Just, you can have that. <laughs> you can have that. <laughs> 
And um, God enabled me to just be a conduit, like Wayne said. It was God the Father saw that young man coughing, probably knew he didn't have any money to do anything about it. And, and he told me, give him the $20 that's in your purse, and you'll be a blessing to him. Why do I want someone else's gift when God has gifted me in a much different way? And then the last one. Wayne was doing a meeting in a church in Florida, and I was sitting there, and we were traveling, and you know when you travel, gals put all kinds of things in their handbags. So this lady next to me slipped out, and she came back in, and she said, my stomach is so upset, I, I think I'm going to have to leave. And I thought, I've got some Imodium in my handbag, so I said, here, take chewable, here, take this, this will help you. And so later, after the service, she said, I'm so glad you gave me that. I drove so far to come to hear Wayne preach, and I would have had to have gone home. Well, another lady said, oh, I heard her coughing. And I, oh, I got a cough drop in my purse. <laughs> so the Lord giving me mercy and enabling my ears to hear someone coughing, um, I, I, God used me to give that to her. And then while we were in that same meeting, there was a lady when we stood up to sing, a little lady in front of me, and I could tell she had nothing of this world's goods. And God reminded me and I'm going to tell you the amount, but then I'm going to explain to you why I told you. Um, I had a $100 bill in my purse, and God said, give that $100 to her. And I was thinking, well, we, when we pray, everybody's eyes will be closed. And so when we prayed, I just leaned over. Her little handbag was there, and I unzipped it ever so gently, and I placed the money in her handbag. And I just think, oh, wouldn't it have been great fun to go home with her? <laughs> and she opens up her handbag maybe even the next morning, and she sees a $100 bill in there. And, and, and she would have had to have given God praise because where else did it come from but from the hand of God the Father? Now, I tell you these things, and I gave you those amounts because um, I know the Scripture teaches that if you tell what you do as you serve the Lord, that's your reward. So I, I have already been rewarded in this just by being able to share with you, and I, I may have messed that part up in heaven, but I'll just have to be sensitive to whatever else God says. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to share that with you because when God's love is within our hearts, um, he enables us to see the need of other people. And I just think it'd be so awesome to one day walk around and after a service you just see people over here praying because there's a need and you see people maybe reaching in their pocket and God has put it on the heart of someone. They need a pair of shoes. Uh, they need a pair of pants and just see them giving our serving some of you serve so beautifully and Wayne told me um, and I do listen to my husband and he's taught me so well um, he told me that there are more people in the body of Christ that are gifted with the gift of service and the gifts of mercy and you don't have a lot of teachers and you, you, you could explain this better, but if everybody was gifted as a teacher, we'd all be wanting to be up front. If everybody was gifted as singing, we'd all want to be up front. But there are those people in the body of Christ that serve, and they see a need, and they get into action, and God speaks to them. And Rosemarie does this so well, and, and she just slips in there and gets food for people and calls and writes notes, and some of you are like that in here as well. And um, some of you are encouragers of the brethren, and and, um, and it's such a beautiful thing. So I'm closing with this, and I, I just want um, you to know that as God gave his son, he has also given us giftings. And as we uh, yield to him, 
with this chapter that Wayne has so beautifully preached on love, we can just say, Father, where is it that you have gifted me? And I, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, for ever wishing for someone else's gifting. And each one of you in here this night have been gifted by God in a very special way. And in, when in, in your homes, in your marriage, if you're just living as unto the Lord, one of the greatest things to be able to be in my home is that Wayne knows where he's gifted. God shows me, has shown me where I'm gifted. And, and you get great pleasure and you can enjoy one another by sharing what God has done in your life because you've been taught by his word. So God bless you all and thank you. Oh, I did. I married way over my head. <laughs> I'm very aware of that. You know, see, what, what Diana beautifully did is showing you how this all comes in together. Everyone was gifted differently. The love wraps around it. But you know what the next lesson's all about? It's about giving. Because once it's selfless, then the nature of God within you to love others starts flowing out through your gift in giving to others. And so hopefully you're seeing how all these things just sort of come together. And um, maybe one of these days we'll have a course and talk about what you need to do as a husband, what you need to do as a wife, but I doubt it. Because if these things are in place, you watch the rest of it just takes care of itself. So thanks, Diana. And uh, by the way, she's that way all the time. And it's fun to watch her. It really is fun to watch her. Because, but if you're on a plane and somebody gets sick, and die, she will die with them. I just want you to know that. <laughs> we were over flying into Switzerland one time. I was on the International Congress on Revival for 11 years, and we were flying into one of those places, and a guy got sick. And I honestly worried more about Dinah dying than I did him because she just identifies. That's her gift working. So be who you are, full of Jesus, and watch what he does in your marriage. Be who you are, full of Jesus. Let the love wrap itself around your gift and watch how he'll draw you together. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for making us unique and different. And yet, Lord, the commonality is that your spirit lives within each of us. And that, Father, even when we're outside of the body, that all of the gifts, uh, Lord, you, you may have us exercise, but it's through your spirit. And Lord, thank you that the, the love wraps the gift. Thank you, Father, that the gift... Uh, when it's selfish or greedy or anything like that, Lord, never flows. But thank you, Father, that what we've seen and what we've shared, even tonight, Lord, we thank you that uh, we can go home and be who we are, just full of you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.